What if there was a different way to live and work beyond the hustle and hype, beyond the never ending race to get more, do more, be more, a way that's nourishing, grounded, creative, and aligned with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Alchemy in Action with me, your host, Amanda Cook. In each episode, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. Join me to create a life and work that truly fit you, infused with meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. This week, I have got such an awesome guest for you, somebody that you probably know very well from his hilarious videos, How to Be Ultra Spiritual. This week, I'm speaking with J.P. Sears. And what you might not know is that J.P. actually started as a wellpreneur. He started off being interested in nutrition and fitness and stress relief and eventually got into emotional coaching. And that's what he's been doing for years, teaching people how to get more in touch with their emotions and heal through emotional healing techniques. And you might also not know that JP started out making YouTube videos that actually were serious. And it wasn't until three years ago when he tested making a funny video to really show off his sense of humor that things started to take off. So during this conversation with JP, we're going to go way back to what he was doing before he became ultra spiritual and how his business evolved over time, especially around that scary place where he had to decide am I really going to make a funny video about spirituality? Because it was so against what everybody else was doing. And as he shares, he really felt like that was going to destroy his business, but he did it anyway. And the results have been incredible. JP's also just come out with his new book called How to Be Ultra Spiritual, which you can get on Amazon. And I'll link up JP's videos as well as his website and his book directly from the show notes, which you can get at wellpreneuronline.com. Now, I have to say, I was super looking forward to talking to JP, but this interview was really difficult for me because I pledged to myself that I wouldn't laugh very much during the interview because I have a pet peeve when on podcasts people are laughing all the time. I find it really distracting. Well, it was really difficult. So just play along with me as I'm trying, as he kind of goes in between his different personas of normal JP and hilariously funny JP, and I try not to laugh. So I think you'll really enjoy it. Anyway, let's get into this interview with JP Sears from Ultra Spiritual. Hey, JP, thanks for joining me on the show today. You're very welcome, Amanda. I appreciate you being weird enough to have me on. Now, I know your your life is so busy doing all of your ultra-spiritual practices, so it was really cool that you could take the time to come talk to us about your journey and how you've become ultra-spiritual. Well, I'm so happy to be here and so happy that you would acknowledge how busy I am. I stay busy telling people how busy I am because that makes me feel more important about myself. <laughs> Totally. I think we can relate to that. So JP, I'm sure people know you from your videos. And of course, I will have shared those links in the intro and alongside the episode as well. But why I really wanted to talk to you is because you actually came from our world. You're a wellpreneur, right? And and before the videos... <laughs> I'm, one, I'm one of you, yes. You're one of us. <laughs> and before you started doing these humorous videos, you actually started off in, what, personal training and nutrition and then got more into spirituality and emotional coaching. Can you kind of tell us what life was like before you became ultra-spiritual? 
Yeah, that's all true. So when I was 20, actually, when I was 18, I got really intrigued about personal training, specifically like personal training with like a a holistic slant to it, you know, acknowledging the whole person, acknowledging their emotions, their nutrition, as well as like a, a lot of like real understanding of the biomechanics and stabilization of the body. So that was like really the first time I ever got passionate about anything. So I dropped out of college to pursue my passions because it just looked like alternative routes would give me uh, what I was looking for. I, I couldn't find anything I was looking for based on where I was looking in the normal colleges and kind of like PS, thank God, you know, it was kind of student debt wouldn't be too fun. So with that said, my my passions for personal training that were kind of predominantly exercise in the beginning created a gluten-free breadcrumb trail that led me to become more passionate about nutrition. And that led me to the next breadcrumb, which had me getting more passionate about stress reduction. Because I'm thinking, wow, nutrition's amazing. I thought exercise was powerful, but look what can happen with nutrition in terms of people getting fit, but also people getting out of pain and recovering their health. And then from there, learning more and more about stress reduction, I was like, wow, I thought nutrition was powerful. And it is. But look what can happen with people's health and longevity and their overall wellness when we address stress reduction seem to blow even nutrition out of the water. And then from the generic sense of stress reduction, that led me to I would say a more intimate, specific form of stress reduction in terms of emotional healing, really looking at resolving pain, wounding, and trauma, not just, well, let's put ourselves under a general relaxation response and breathe deeper and address our stress at a symptomatic level. But now it was like, let's get to the heart of the matter, which is the human heart. And that was all exciting to me, very passionate to me. And I I think also the reason why I got so intrigued about helping other people do their emotional healing, you know, helping them help themselves with their emotional healing because I can't do it for them. Well, my passion, this is the world's longest run on sentence, by the way. So my passion about that, I think was ultimately fueled by me just projecting my need for it onto people around me And the intensity that I was passionate about helping people, I think, was really the exact intensity that I needed healing. I was just in denial of it. But luckily, when I got deeper into my emotional healing work studies, the wise people that I was studying with and learning from really helped direct my focus into my heart. And I saw a lot of growth and healing that I needed to do. So I, uh, yeah, I rolled along having my client practice transition into predominantly and then exclusively emotional healing work. And then uh, starting in 2006, I was teaching workshops and classes and traveling the world doing that. And that's kind of my background. Right. So when you had your emotional healing practice, when did you decide how did you start doing things online? Like, because I know you actually created videos that weren't funny. I mean, <laughs> like that were, well, were serious. Amanda, you're telling me <laughs> that I'm not funny. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, when you started producing video content, I guess it was, what was it? It was just a marketing strategy, like a way to reach out to more people and promote your practice. Like how did, why did you get started with video and, and all of that? 
Yeah, well, that's exactly what it was, a marketing strategy. So I started my YouTube channel in April of 2013. So happy four-year anniversary to me, or birthday, I'm not sure which it is. And, and the reason why I decided to start my YouTube channel then was because I had just resigned from teaching as a faculty member for a holistic health institute. I taught for them from 2006 until 2013. And yeah, I was just independent contractor anywhere from a couple times a month to once a month. I'd fly to whatever the city was or country, and I would teach these three-day workshops on their behalf that involved nutrition, stress reduction, and some emotional healing components. And doing those classes was wonderful. It really helped build my clientele. And at that point, I was doing my emotional healing practice pretty much exclusively on Skype, just with people all over the world. So I was getting a lot of clients from these classes that I was teaching on behalf of the, the what's called the Czech Institute. So in 2013, I knew it was time for me to resign. It was a good situation, but my heart was just calling me to step into my next adventure. It had become kind of my comfort zone. So I needed to leave the home of my comfort zone. So pretending like I can be at least halfway strategic, even though I probably can't, I just thought, well, okay, I'm resigning from the classes. Uh, those had been great just inadvertent exposure marketing for me. So let me figure out a new way to get in front of uh, uh, new potential clients. So I birthed my YouTube channel into existence. And the first year and a half of my YouTube channel, as you mentioned, were just unfunny videos, videos that were just sincere life advice, healing oriented videos. My quirky um, uh, sense of humor would come out occasionally, but just in little slivers, because at that time I was operating with the belief that it would be really bad for business to let my sense of humor come out. Because it's like I'd look at the world around me and I'd say, well, you know, spiritual teachers and, and people doing a deep emotional healing work, they all act really precious. They're not funny. They're just serious. So that's what I need to be. So instead of just being me, I betrayed myself and tried to become who I thought I needed to be to essentially get the world to approve me as a way of uh, having my strategy be good for business by you know, hiding my sense of humor. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that because I you know, especially online and because so many people's businesses in this industry are personal brands. So people are building themselves as a presence, as a health coach or a yoga teacher or personal trainer or whatever. We start to look at all these other people that that are ahead of us and that are really successful. And then we say, well, if they did it like that, well, that's how I need to be. And you start to get this, I'm sure everyone's seen it, this sea of clones out there. <laughs> and it's, awful. Like if I see another, I'm sorry to everyone that's produced one of these, but like another green smoothie recipe book, I'm like, come on, like, <laughs> you know, the world does not need another one of these. Like that's what it worked, but it worked for somebody who that was authentic for, you know, and, yeah. and it doesn't work for everybody else. So yeah, that I think I can really relate to that feeling of I have to do it like everyone else. 
Yeah, I, I think the benefit of looking at people who have come before us, if you will, and, and who do wonderful things, the benefit of that is looking at what they do and getting inspired. The detriment of looking at those people is believing that we're supposed to do it like them. I think be inspired by them, but don't be like them. Don't do it how they did it. And sure as heck, don't try to be like them. And it's a, it's a, a slippery slope that's very tempting to slide down. And I personally believe that there's many messengers And a lot of us carry a very similar message, but there's a reason why there's many of us messengers. It's because people connect to the messenger. They don't connect just to the message or else we would learn every darn thing we need from books. But apparently there's a reason why the design team put people on earth and there's so many of us. I think it's because we need each other. We connect most deeply to other people, not inanimate objects, not a book, not a online course. I mean, we get maybe a little connection from that, but we really connect to messengers called human beings. And my delusional belief is, Amanda, that even if you and I had the exact same message, there are people that simply resonate with how I am and who I am. And they they need me as the messenger to connect to. Why they connect to me, who knows? Like whatever their life history is. And then there's people who need you as the messenger. They might listen to me speak the same message and they don't vibe with me. It doesn't go in for them. They might not feel safe and valued in my presence or based on what they project onto me. So I think that we do the world around us a great service and I think it serves our business incredibly well if we're willing to risk being ourselves when we hide ourselves, like I was hiding myself uh, in, in many ways for the first 13 years of my career by restricting my sense of humor, not letting it out in the professional light, uh, we, we don't give the people who would truly resonate with us, we don't give them a chance to connect with us simply because we're not presenting ourselves to them. We're presenting who we think we're supposed to be. We're acting like maybe a mentor. We're doing it their way, which is giving potential uh, clients the facade of our mentor to connect to, not our real self. I think we have to be ourselves to, to expose ourselves to the surface of life, which is what allows someone to potentially connect with us. And that's scary because I think a lot of us have overt or covert childhood programming that says you're not good enough as you are. You need to meet expectations in order to be worthy. And now what we're finding, you know, what I found in my career is being my freaking self is the most valuable thing I can do for my business. And it's the most valuable thing I can be for other people. It's the best way I can serve other people. And so nonetheless, when I betrayed my old story that said humor is bad for business and I started to let my humor come out, it turned out to be the best thing I ever did for my business. And really what that taught me, it's not the the take-home lesson isn't humor is good for everybody's business, uh, nor is the take-home lesson humor was good for my business. I think the real lesson is me being me was really good for my business. And 
any entrepreneur, any listener, you being as much of your unapo- yeah, much of yourself unapologetically as possible, I personally think that is one of the best things you could ever do for your business. So to me, that's the take-home lesson. And it's scary, by the way, because like that childhood programming that I mentioned, we violate that. That's how we met our needs psychologically. We survive psychologically by trying to meet expectations. But you can't meet expectations and simultaneously be yourself, in my opinion. It's like oil and water. So if we're willing to risk being ourselves to a greater degree, unapologetically let our authenticity out, that typically means we'll have to feel the emotions, the fear, and the sensations that don't feel comfortable. And usually there's a story wrapped up around that with a lot of self-doubt and criticism that says, oh, this is bad for business. But the story might be pervasive. It might have hardcore feelings attached to it. But the story isn't uh, correlated to truth. It's just correlated to the story that we reactively attach to our fears and our sensations. And just lastly, before I shut up on my monologue here, Uh, Tony Robbins has a saying that I absolutely love. Pain comes from sensations and suffering comes from stories. I think we we can easily create a lot of self-induced suffering from our stories. And we might even justify our stories that create suffering as this is a, a good thing for my business. It's a very convenient justification that keeps us trapped in the story of our suffering. And I think any story that we tell ourselves that is a rationalization that keeps us from being ourselves and letting ourselves shine and be seen by the world, I think that is a story that creates suffering because I think there's nothing more painful and suffering-oriented than us betraying ourselves. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I'll get, I'll get off my soapbox now, Amanda. <laughs> Apparently, I needed to hear all of that or else I wouldn't be trying to teach it. So I hope I was listening. So, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, And you can look back now and say, wow, bringing humor and bringing my full self into my videos is what really, I'm guessing, is what really like skyrocketed your reach and, and got more people discovering you and, and brought you to the business you have today. But I'm imagining, you know, back then, as you were toying with the idea of making your first funny video, you probably didn't say to yourself, yes, I need to bring my humor in and then everything's going to be great, right? Like what was happening? I'm just curious if you could share like what was happening back then and then how did you decide to even create your first video that was so different from the others? You're right. There there was zero strategy. There was zero thought that this is going to grow into a thing and take on a life of its own. There was zero thought that a lot of people would start viewing it. It was just sort of like having a, a rash. It, it was itchy. I wanted to scratch it. You know, I had a craving like, yeah, I want to, you know, kind of like in a paradoxical way, teach people how to be spiritual by modeling a lot of the behaviors that people adopt to become spiritual that inadvertently get in their way of actually being spiritual. So a lot of anti-spiritual things that we simply call spirituality. So I wanted to present things in a rather backwards way, uh, simply because that, that was fun for me. It amused me. And I remember when I was making the first ultra spiritual video of, of, in my uh, ongoing comedy series. My girlfriend at the time was behind the camera. And this was October 3rd, 2014. 
and we were just a ways through filming and, and I was having fun. And I remember looking at her and I said, I don't care if anybody watches this. I am amusing the hell out of myself. So I think my mindset was really, I want to do this for me. It amuses me. It was an, a new expression of creativity. I had very rarely had I had any creativity in my life up until I was the blind man stumbling along and finding my way into doing comedic videos. So I, I did listen to another interview with you and you said after you did that first video, then there was a huge gap actually, like a month or something or more before you started really recording the videos regularly. So at what point like did you decide, yes, this is like this is what I'm gonna do going forward? Like did you start getting more feedback and traction from people or it was just fun? And so you said, I can't do the old type of videos, I'm just doing this. Like how did that come about? You're right. It was a while before, like, I just had this epiphany, like, wow, maybe I'll do some, some more funny videos. And, uh, I think there were, there were a few factors that made it take a while for that kind of obvious fact to register for me. The first was that, that first video, it was about a week or a week and a half before it started to take off and go a bit viral. And, and honestly, I, I think I needed that codependent validation. It was, I mean, yes, very codependent, but it was also a way for me to receive validation from the world. The world basically saying, JP, we like what you're doing rather than we think what you're doing is a terrible thing. So I guess I needed time for the video to get exposure so I could feel codependently validated by it. And and then also once it started going viral, there's a sense of intimidation around that. And anytime since then that I've had a video go viral, making the next video is scary because there's this this voice you know inside that says, well, what if your video is not going to be as big of a hit? And, you know, the next video is not going to be as big of a hit. And, and that's not the goal of the videos, but the codependent addict that just thinks more recognition equals more value equals I'm more, more worthy. You know, it kind of looks that way to that part of me. So there was that intimidation. And then, yeah, once I, I finally clicked into it, it, uh, you know, I, I didn't put burdens on myself as saying I'm going to keep doing this forever. It was just a mindset that said, I want to do more. So I'm going to do more. And let's aim to keep doing more. And in the sincere, serious videos that I had been doing up to that point, I, I kept doing those. And there, you know, it, it's actually probably been, I don't know, a handful of months since I've put up a serious video on my YouTube channel, simply because time is uh, been pretty limited in my world lately. So at this point, Amanda, I think I have completely lost sight of the question, but I hope whatever I just <laughs> said really <laughs> speaks to the, the beautiful question that you asked that I forgot. <laughs> oh, lovely. Yeah. So, so I'm curious, like how your business has evolved too, because I think you've, you've since stopped doing your one-on-one -on -one coaching. I'd love if you could kind of talk a bit about that, kind of how it's evolved, because I think sometimes we think, oh, you know, that person's made it like, oh, their video went viral. They've got, you know, you've got a million followers like that's it. But actually, it's still changing, right? It's changing and 
true. And shifting. Yeah. So can you talk about kind of ending that, ending the coaching piece and and what that's been like? Sure. You know, the, the coaching piece just ended this past January. So it's been incredibly recently. And it, it was about a year and a half ago that I started to reduce how much I was coaching, you know, went from five days a week to four days a week. And, you know, that was a scary jump. And then from four days a week to three days a week uh, throughout 2016. And, you know, the days of the week that I wasn't coaching, they were devoted to creativity so I could keep making videos as well as interviews and fielding other opportunities that uh, kept coming up. And then, you know, three days a week coaching and then two days a week for uh, other stuff. It just wasn't enough. So then I went to only two days a week coaching. And and ultimately, really, my heart uh, just kept saying, let go of the coaching. It's easy for me to let go of a crappy thing. It's hard for me to let go of a really great thing. And I find that my heart doesn't always ask me to let go of the crappy things. Sometimes it asks me to let go of a really great thing so that I can step deeper into something even better for me, at least at the time. Uh, Much like when I resigned from teaching for the Czech Institute in 2013, that was very scary. And it allowed me to go from a great thing into an even better thing and then letting the coaching go from an even greater thing to yet even greater things. So I've been very blessed with my business to have a lot of opportunities come at me that feel great to me. And I, you know, I say no a lot more than I say yes. So I'm not just blindly grasping with desperation at anything. I, to me, it's important. You know, actually, I very rarely make decisions based on what I think. It's always by how I feel. And I'm one of the least money motivated people I know. Money is not a convincing factor to me. It's how intrigued am I? How fulfilled am I? How interested am I? How much of my creativity do I get to dance with in a given project? So making videos, I'm doing a lot of traveling, speaking at events, performing. I've got my book that just hit the shelves in March. And um, uh, let's I've got a T-shirt line out. I've got, uh, I think, some other things happening as well, as well as some future things that will be happening. So I'm, and I'm astonished how, as I've become completely devoted to what essentially is doing 10 different things all under the uh, umbrella of what my videos have opened up for me, it still seems like there's not enough time to do everything I want to do. So that's an interesting, slippery illusion of time. I want to shift gears a little bit and just ask, like, on a personal note, like I love to find out what the personal practices are of the guests that we have on the show. So I'm curious, because like you said, you feel like there's not enough time. There's so much you want to do. So do you have like a morning routine or kind of other rituals or habits that that help you stay grounded and get it all done? Absolutely. In the morning, a lot of people do gratitude journaling. I do resentment journaling. So I write letters of anger to people that I hate the most. And it, may, it makes me feel really good. And I think I'm kidding, Amanda. But with this, my alternate reality, what I really do 
the, I am chuckling over here. Don't worry. I'm just, yeah, quietly. Cool. And I appreciate you saying that. So my inner codependent uh, pieces and parts can feel validated. So yeah, my morning routine is actually very precious to me. And I've refined it over the, I don't know, last year and a half is probably what I've been very cognizant um, or the time I've been very cognizant of my morning routine. Because to me, it's just like our childhood, much like in adulthood, how the things that you know, go smoothly for us or the things that are disaster for us, be they relationships, finances, a lot of that stuff in our adult life is a symptom of what happens in our childhood, our formative years. And I find the morning is the formative part of each day. It's like our micro childhood we get each day. So what happens in the formative part of the day better or worse, has a massive influence over the rest of my day. So when I start off out of balance, ah, life is just harder for me. You know, I might have the same activities, events, and meetings and encounters throughout the day, but my perception of them is going to have a little more resistance, a little more friction to it. But when I'm balanced with my morning routine, things just function like they're lubricated better. There's more grace, more peace. My perception is simply uh, more peaceful. So to your actual question, I start my morning by taking a cold shower. Usually about 60 seconds, the water is cold as I can get it. During the summertime, the water in Charleston, South Carolina, where I live, is just not cold at all when it comes out of the tap, even when it's on cold. So I have a big chest freezer that I put on my back deck, fill that with water, typically break <laughs> ice off of it in the morning. So that water is wow. like 33 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love it. Really wakes me up. And then I do 10 minutes of meditation and what amounts to about 10 minutes of gratitude journaling. And then I take a, about a, it's actually about a 27 minute walk just around my neighborhood. And then I make coffee, which is typically bulletproof coffee with a crap load of grass fed butter and uh, brain octane MCT oil. And then I'm ready to start what I would call my work day. And most of the time I'm starting my work day in a creative mindset with, you know, creative projects, be it a, be it a video or something else creative that I'm working on. Uh, and that tends to set me up pretty well. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I cannot believe that you have icy water that you pour over yourself, but I can see that that would totally wake you up. But oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. And I don't just pour it over myself. I actually get into it and submerge oh my myself. So it's whole body. It's, It'll let you know you're alive. Invigorating. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> okay. So cool. So we're kind of at the end of our interview. So JP, tell everybody where, I guess they can find your book on Amazon, How to Be Ultra Spiritual. Yeah. Yes. And it's on Amazon. I put my heart and soul into it. If any of you guys are inspired to check it out, then just know I would appreciate you. Amazing. So I'll link that up in the show notes and give us your website and where your YouTube channel and where people can find you to watch your hilarious videos. Sure. My website is awakenwithjp.com and my YouTube and Facebook, all of my social media handles are awakenwithjp. Amazing. Thanks so much for being with us today, JP. This was really awesome. You're welcome, Amanda. I appreciate you having me on.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. I'll link up JP's videos and his book and everything in the show notes, which you can find at wellpreneuronline.com. I'm also hoping to share a few of his videos within our Facebook group, which is called the Wellpreneur Community, and you can join it too. It's free to join. And there are 2,000 Wellpreneurs in the group talking about building their businesses and their own personal success practices and just generally being awesome Wellpreneurs. So you can come join us over there, the Wellpreneur Community on Facebook. Okay, well, that's it for me this week. I hope you are having a fantastic week and I will see you back here next week with the next episode. 